Report, the year's most widely read novel, becomes today's most exciting, most timely motion picture. Airport, big scale in every way, has the biggest all-star cast ever assembled for a single universal motion picture. Burt Lancaster, Dean Martin, Gene Seberg, Jacqueline Bissett, George Kennedy, Helen Hayes, Van Heflin, Maureen Stapleton, Barry Nelson, Lloyd Nolan, Donna Winter. The pilot from your flight 45 made a shortcut across the field. And he didn't make it. Well, what are you doing about it? Well, when the snow melts in April, we'll get it out. What the hell do you think I'm doing about it? Outselling any novel of recent years, translated into 14 languages, Arthur Haley's Airport was written for the screen and directed by Academy Award winner George Seaton. It has seven stories tied into one. Dean Martin is pilot Vernon Demarest, loved by stewardess Jacqueline Bissett and by his wife, Barbara Hale. You're sure? Do you mean am I sure I'm pregnant? Or am I sure you're the father? Bert Lancaster is airport manager Mel Bakersfeld at the crisis stage with his socialite wife, Donna Winter. A week ago, I didn't know we'd have the worst storm in six years. You've always got some damn excuse. Gene Seberg is Tanya, his devoted assistant. I'll miss you. Will you? Enough not to let me go? The first lady of the American stage, Helen Hayes, plays the mind-boggling, huggable, perpetual stowaway, Ada Quonset. Oh, my dear, I couldn't possibly afford a ticket. Van Heflin gives a superb performance as the desperate Guerrero, matched by Maureen Stapleton as his wife. Stop dreaming. Just hold on to the job. I'll do it right this time. I won't mess it up. And lusty, gutsy Petroni has to be Academy Award winner George Kennedy. I'll have this mother out of here by midnight. Is there any chance that the, that the plane would stand the explosion? Oh, she might still fly. But the sudden decompression at 30,000 feet is something you got to see to believe. Now, sit down and be quiet. Oh, you hurt me. You hurt me. Stop it. You're hysterical. Oh, help me. Please, help me. Help me. No. No! No! Personal property, you've got no right to take it over Stop! Stop! No! 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 You stay where you are! Guerrero, listen to me. You'll kill yourself or nothing if you explode that bomb. For crisis authenticity, airport has no equal. For mounting tension, airport has no equal. Decompression making emergency descent. For sheer fingernail-biting suspense, airport has no equal. You are leaving my area. Contact Cleveland Center, 117.5. Good luck. Airport. We're gonna crash. We're gonna be killed. I know we're all gonna be... Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast, where the Diecast decided the genre of the movie we're going to discuss. And today I'm joined by the one, the only, Mark Maddox, artist extraordinaire, multi-Rondo Award winning. How you doing today, Mark? I'm doing great. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I think this is my first time on your show, right? Yes, it is. And now I know I hit the big time when I get the Maddox in the house. The big time. Well, I'm not that big. I mean, I've, I've actually lost some weight, but 
No, I mean, it's it's one of those things where you and I have talked so much about us doing shows. We've come up with with uh, uh, subjects to do and everything like that, that it's like, have we ever actually done one? And the answer is no. So this is a first time, and we're, we're coming out of the gate real strong with a, a film that I can run my mouth mouth about for uh, forever, you know? So oh, cool. I, yeah, I know. You and I have been talking about it, and usually, like, because of schedules, you, you've been an extremely busy artist. I mean, covers everywhere. Um, always doing artwork, different conventions showing up. And where could people find your artwork? Well, the easiest way to find it is on Facebook. Um, I've, I've had a, a website for years that it just I never hardly ever used and dusted it off. But I'm going to be putting a new one together here in the next month or two. But on Facebook, uh, it's uh, Mark Maddox, and I'm the Mark Maddox that lives in Tallahassee, Florida. So I put a lot of my artwork up there. There's even a, a, a thing of artwork there called uh, some, of, some of Mark's Art is the name of the one photo folder. And then, uh, you know, if anybody needs to contact me, they can contact me at my email address, mark at maddoxplanet.com, uh, like Maddox and Planet, all one word, dot com. So, yep, that's where you can see it. Uh, you can see my stuff on magazine covers, book covers, Blu-ray covers from Shout Factory, magazines like Scream, Little Shop of Horrors, uh, Infinity's done a few uh, different book publishers and things like that. Moonstone did a bunch of my uh, Kolchak artwork. Uh, so, yeah, lots of different places. And also in movie posters, I know we have a mutual friend, um, Joshua Kennedy. and you've done, you've done several, I think, artwork for his posters in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, uh, there's a good chance I'm going to be working on one here very soon again. Uh, he he uh, he's really fun to work with. He's got a good spirit, you know, good good energy to his uh, his creativity, and uh, so I'm you know I, I love working with the guy. Oh, everybody loves Josh, and um, I know what, there was one thing you wanted to mention um, to him. Obviously, I talked. Josh was on the show just recently, and him and I talked and shared. But I think you wanted to um, dedicate this episode to Josh's father. I wanted to de dedicate it to Josh's father and Josh himself, because um, I know that his parents, it's sort of like the way I was with my kids. It wasn't just that you watched the newest films at the movie theater. You went back and looked at older stuff and everything. And Josh is like me. He's a nut about the film that we're talking about today, but he's also nuts about movies like the Omega man and 10 commandments and all these other great films that a lot of young people don't seem to really uh, either they don't get into it or it's too old or whatever, which to me is a load of load of crap. Um, and so he's like, uh, you know, he's like my kids, you know, uh, my, my daughter's favorite movie at some point in time, Dr. Zhivago, my son told a movie critic one time, his favorite movie was Torah, Torah, Torah. So it's like, you and and even older films, silent films, and everything. People should watch all kinds of films, and they shouldn't base their movie viewing just on modern, very high speed, almost attention deficit disorder level films. That just if they're not running you over, they're not doing their job. I think that that there's room for all kinds of movies. And Josh is one of those guys. Uh, as young as he is, he epitomizes to me a guy who loves film. Period not just the new stuff. And for listeners, obviously you heard our, the episode that Josh and I did with Independence Day recently, but um, Josh was our very episode number one when we did Inherit the Wind. Josh has been with us when we did It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. 
And Josh also had us do the silent movie Napoleon by um, Ad, um, Abel, Gantz, Abel Gantz. Abel Gantz. Yeah. And uh, that five yeah. and a half or six and a half hour um, long movie, you know, that, that of course was nine hours originally. So Josh, just by saying those movies, you can get an idea of the diversity of movies that I've said and that Marcus said that Josh's interest in love. And of course he has extreme love for hammer movies and his house of the mm-hmm. Gorgon is this wonderful little tribute thing where he brought a lot of the former hammer stars together to have their, in a sense, you know, a, a reminiscence a, a last hurrah for us fans and for him to have that enjoyment. And besides also other movies like cowgirls versus pterodactyls and so on in's mouth school mm-hmm. for girls is his current film. That's out. I mean, lots of lots of solid work from a person who just loves film and and loves giving these little tributes to them in his own way. Yeah, he also does a lot of theater too. I mean, every time I I, I see him, there's some other play he's doing or he's working on movies. Uh, I mean, he's he's incredibly busy. So you know, he's to be applauded. And he's you know he's had a rough time this year. His his dad you know passed away, and I you know I was reading stuff about his father, and you can tell. That uh, you know, his parents, both of them, seem to have really you know embraced you know letting him know about the stuff that they love doing, and I think it's you know, I think there's a bit of a, a back and forth with that, kind of like me with my children. So you know, it's a kindred spirit thing. So yeah, um, but um, anyway, so the, the tribute is there, you know. Yes, it is. And um, again, as I told Josh before, our faults and prayers have been with him and his family and uh, his dad and so on. And if he ever needs assistance in anything, you know, reach out and contact us and we're always there for you. Yep. You got it. Now, Mark, you and I have been talking many different movies, what to do. And you've rolled the dice and you had action and family as two different genres. And you decided to go with, I guess, you could kind of call this a combo in a, in a way. It's an it's an action movie. It's a, I would say it's a family friendly movie because if I remember right, it's rated G. So yeah. So pretty much this is this is like a, a good gateway action film to take young ones to back in 1970 to the other things that were going to be coming out down the road. Yeah. It's, what movie um, did you pick? I picked. Well, I think you and I were throwing stuff out, and it was sort of like we kind of landed on it at the same moment in our conversation, was the uh, 1970 movie Airport, rated G, uh, a little over two hours long, two hours and 17 minutes. Uh, It's got a big cast. It's very much like a a Grand Hotel sort of movie. Uh, it, It... at the time was a massive hit. I think it was made for like, I don't know, somewhere in the neighborhood of like, you know, 10 million bucks or something. Not, not a lot by, but back then that was a lot of money, but it made like 10 times what it cost. So it was a colossal hit got nominated for best picture. And I, I don't remember exactly which, which uh, awards it won. It won one uh, award know, for best supporting actress. Helen Hayes won one for best supporting actress. Uh, and it's one of those films that my, the thing is, I, a friend of mine was telling me, was coming to our base theater for one night. Cause this was like in 73 or something. And it was at the base theater at, uh, Seymour Johnson air force base in Goldsboro, North Carolina. And, uh, I, my friend was telling me, Oh, that movie's coming on. You should see that you're going to go crazy for it. And, uh, 
I, I said something about going to see it, and my dad decided to take me to see it. But he had seen it already in Vietnam in, at Da Nang when he was stationed at Da Nang. And, uh, you know, he wanted to go back and see it again, which is a good testament to a film. My dad usually was a, a one and done with a movie. Uh, he didn't need to see things a second time, but he goes, oh, I'll go back and see that with you. And I went to the theater and I was blown away. I was blown away by the uh, intense drama. Uh, it gets picked on nowadays as being soap opera, but there's been stuff before the word soap opera ever got invented. It's a That's a quick throwaway. Uh, it was about interpersonal relations. It was about marriage. It was about divorce. It was about, um, uh, uh, you know, desperation. Extramarital affairs. Extramarital affairs, which is interesting for a G-rated film. I almost think if it got re-rated now, it would be PG. Uh, but there's, there's a... It's a a rollicking story about all these different things that happen at this airport uh, when when it's it's snowbound, uh, you know. And there's levels of things like uh, I think the way we need to do this is get a divorce, or my husband's never going to leave me. But then he then she finds out he is, and like I said, and that's you know standard, and that's where the soap opera aspect comes in. But there's also this slow buildup of learning of all these interconnecting stories. And then when you get to the, to the real main, uh, I don't want to say call it the main plot because the whole movie's got plot, but it's one of those where you get to the, uh, the, the guy with an explosive device on a plane that it's almost like all this other stuff. It, it isn't that it's not important, but at this time we're now talking about survival. And uh, so massive cast, uh, Burt Lancaster, Dean Martin, uh, uh, Jacqueline Bissett, George Kennedy. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember everybody. Help me out here. Well, we'll, um, we'll go over them as we go through it. But one thing I want to remind listeners is that we're probably going to be spoiling good portions of the movie. So if you want to watch the movie, if you've never seen the movie, watch the movie now. Go see it then come back and join us, you know, and that way, that way we won't spoil things for you. So we're, so we're going to probably have significant spoilers in our talk. I can imagine. So I just want to make sure listeners are aware that this could be spoiled for them if they've never seen it. And and I know people will say, Oh, it's been out since 1970. You know, it's been out for over 50 years. I'm still a firm believer that you have, like you said, so many young people that are coming into films and they've never seen the film. They've only been around for maybe 15 years in their life. And then now to hear this, and they might be like, hey, I want to see this movie. So, we, you know, you don't want to spoil everything for them. But then it, there also could be somebody that's 70 years old who was 20 years old when this movie came out or whatever, or like in their teens. And they sure. also never got a chance to see the movie for whatever reason. You know, it's some, I, so that's why I'm warning everybody there are going to be spoilers. And if you've seen the movie, you should be fine with everything we're saying. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, um, you can still spoil a movie even if it's really old. You can spoil a silent movie if nobody's ever seen it. I had a friend of mine who unwittingly was trying to tell me why he thought this famous older film was so great. And and, or, and I was like, okay, you've got to watch this movie. And I won't say the name of the film and I won't say the name of the person, but it was like, you've got to see this. You've got to see this. And I'm like, look, I'd already started watching it and I didn't really care for it that much. He goes, but when you get to the point when blah, 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 and there's this shift in the movie's dynamic, 
that's when the movie really, really rescues, saves itself and becomes something. Well, I watched the movie and sure enough, he was right, but it was spoiled for me. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yep. Oh, I, I, uh, you, it, you and I are talking the same language. You know, that's why I said, I'm just letting people know now that, that we, we might hit spoilers for him if they've never seen it. And, and to go back so, and to go back to what you're saying ahead. with the cast when you needed some help, um, uh, Gene Seberg, is that how she says her last name? Gene Seberg, yes. Gene mm-hmm. Seberg, and also, of course, Maureen Stapleton, who was also nominated for uh, Best Supporting Actress. Um, yeah. And that kind of thing. And then, by the way, the movie was, I think, had nine nominations, winning for Helen Hayes winning for Best Supporting Actress, but it was nominated a lot for uh, score, editing, sound, you know, mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of technical things besides Best Picture. And the two actresses yeah. for best supporting, uh, but the cast is like huge. I mean, when when you have Barbara Hale in it for basically two small little scenes, to me that's a name. I mean, because of Perry Mason and that yeah. kind of stuff, and she does a great job of what she's given. Because the last scene she's in is basically just when the movie's ending, and her body language when that all sells everything from the the dialogue that she said at the very beginning, she ties your character all the way through with just the way she sees the end scene. I thought that was really well done. Yes. Um, uh, you know, to me, uh, and you feel for her too. Uh, here comes a spoiler. Uh, she's always kind of got the idea that her husband, Dean Martin fools around on her. He's a, a pilot and she's like, you know, she can, it's almost like she's decided she can live with it. But that one day when all of his, you know, fooling around his Tom Cattery has ended that he'll come home and they'll have a regular marriage uh, she's also uh, Burt Lancaster's sister, uh, uh, Demarest. Uh, oh, excuse me, Mel Baker's William Demarest. Mel Bakersfeld. Um, uh, it, you know that's that's her brother, and he's all. Of course, him and Dean Martin are butting heads through the whole film. One thing that's interesting to me as I was watching this, and there might even be more. There are literally three people from Invasion of the Body Snatchers in this movie: Dana Winter. Larry Gates, who plays the commissioner, he was the doctor in, uh, in, in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and Whit Bissell. And I was like watching, going, wow, that's a lot of, lot of them. That's, but that's just an aside. Anyway, um, yeah, there's a lot of great actors in this film. Barry Nelson, the first James Bond, uh, is uh, Dean Martin's co-pilot. Um, and Maureen Stapleton, <clears throat> I want to <clears throat> talk about her for a second. Excuse me. Actually, I think you have it backwards. Um, I think Barry Nelson was the pilot, and Dean Martin was the co-pilot because he was there to observe him. They were like, he was the observer. Well, I mean, they, technically, they were both pilots, but yes, you're pilots. right. You're right. Yeah, they're both pilots, but he's there uh, giving him his uh, his checkup flight. I guess yep. what you have to do every six months. Um, to Maureen Stapleton, she did such a great job in this movie. I actually think it's 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 neck and neck i mean helen hayes did her her type of of humorous light very good she knew how to play it she played it like a fiddle mm-hmm. but maureen stapleton did such a tremendous job where she starts to suspect that something's really wrong with what her husband's up to and gets a note uh that, that that's that she's told that she that she is told by him that he's going to milwaukee to do a a, a job where he excavates for buildings and um she gets a note saying, oh, we, you've got an overcharge on this flight to Rome that you're taking. Uh, here's, here's your money uh, back. And then she goes, what the heck? 
and she it starts to really dawn on her. She gets to the airport. She starts looking for him. She gets to the desk where the plane would take off. She goes, I need to know if my husband's on that flight. And they say, yeah, he's there. And just the look on her face where she starts to, her world is falling apart. And she leans up against the glass and she starts to cry. I, I almost cry every time I see her do that scene because she was channeling reality as far as I've seen people cry like that. I mean, it's, it's just amazing to me what a great job she did. Oh, yeah, she was able – you can see her puzzling it out in her, in her body language and facial expressions. And it's, it's an excellent job. And the two of them definitely deserved the nominations. And I have to say, I think the reason they gave it to Helen Hayes is because, one, it's, it's, it's more the comedic role. So people always have a mm-hmm. tendency to love that a little better. And she steals practically every scene she's in. I mean, she just – Oh, yeah. I mean, she with facial expressions, other stuff. I remember just a little aside scene – no dialogue where she has one of those little alcohol bottles near the end of the movie and she's taking a, a sip of it and there's a nun next to her and the nun, she gives the nun the bottle and the nun's taking it and taking it and she just like turns and gives that that facial expression of like, really? You know, you're going to drink all of it? <laughs> you know, which uh, is some, the, relieves the, the tension, she, which relieves the tension in the movie. Well, she's devious, but you even see her be more devious, like when Jacqueline Bissett in a ruse has grabbed her, drug her up to the front uh, for being a stowaway. That's the, the wildness of her character is that she's a 70-year-old woman who, who uh, you know, stows away on planes all the time. And uh, But when Jacqueline Bissett grabs her and takes her up to the cockpit and is, um, is uh, you know, Telling her, "Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't. I hope I didn't hurt you." Which we know she didn't. And then Helen Hayes sees a little bit of leverage there, and she goes, "No, no, uh, not much." And then she, you can see the look on her face. It's like I can use this to my advantage if I need to. You know, just always manipulating, always thinking of quick little schemes and everything. So she does a great job. You know. Well, she she's one of the best con people. That I've ever seen in a movie, you know, like for like a small role where she just, you can just tell how she has so many different layers going and can adjust on the fly to every little yeah. thing that's happening and how she, she has charisma off the chart as a character and, and she just plays it so well. So she would, it was like the perfect actress for the perfect role. You know, it was like the mesh of everything where the script just matched her abilities like a glove and she just ran with it. Uh, and I, I enjoy it. And also she gets to be on the hero side when she says, okay, I'll help you guys get this. And, you know, we'll help to get the bomb from the person and they're playing it up. And you don't know how much they rehearsed that prior, like what they're going to do between her and Gwen, it was a Jacqueline Bissett's character, the head stewardess when they go back there. But the sad thing is the other passengers on the plane don't like the head stewardess because of the way um, Helen Hayes's character has been how she portrayed herself as this fragile old woman who's being put upon, and then this bomb's being passed around, and eventually gets back to the original guy, you know, because this one guy is like, "Oh no, he should have it. It's his suitcase. How dare you take this from him?" And it's like they were so close. And again, they were Dean Martin being the, one of the captains almost talks him had to pass in the thing, and the guy comes out of the lavatory, the bathroom, and the other guy yells, "He's got a bomb! Grab him!" And then. That, you know, eventually causes the guy to pull the thing. Was, everything was so close. And that guy, that guy, Peter Turgeon, Marcus Rathbone is the character. 
is the characters you always hate. And I love the scene later. I'm sure you do too, where he's starting to freak out and do some stuff. And the priest that's on the aisle seat on the other side is stretching and just hits him. <laughs> On purpose. Oh, yeah. Shut him up. Well, the guy, the guy's a jerk. I've used stronger language, but I'm sure this is a G rated show. Uh, he is a, um, uh, he's, he's, he's a whiner and a baby and a, and a mean person from the get go. I mean, he gets on the bus, he complains about the ticket to get taken to the airport. There's a little kid standing there. Get away from me, kid. Your nose is running and shoves the kid. Uh, you know, just, uh, complaining about stale nuts as a matter of fact that there's a bit of a uh, an almost non-g rated joke in there where the you know Jacqueline Bissett says to one of the uh other stewardesses nuts to the guy in aisle whatever whatever and she goes you've got it and it's like there's uh there's there's subtleties about but but it's it's pretty blatant that the guy is just no good for anybody and here's Dean Martin they figure out this guy's got a bomb. They come up with this ruse to get the case away from him because he's probably got a trigger on the outside of the case. And and when finally everything goes uh, upside down and the guy knows now that they're on to him and he's standing at the back of the plane with everybody standing there you know, horrified, out of the bathroom comes some guy who has no clue as to what's going on and then our loudmouth, you know, Rathbone guy, uh, turns around and and yells grab him he's got a bomb and points at him and it's like once again you have proven that you are probably one of the most worthless human beings on the planet uh and then you know all hell breaks loose with the uh with the with the action sequence but um anyway so uh the music let's talk about that a little bit oh alfred newman's score we did a movie of his earlier in um this season this year with from um, the razor's edge if I did with Reber Clark, and uh, that was a wonderful score there. I, I enjoyed the score here, too. Are you talking about the Tyrone Power Razor's Edge or the Bill Murray? I don't think that was done. That was done by somebody else, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. got the soundtrack to the Bill Murray. We're talking about the 1946 Al- Razor's Edge. The, the, yeah, you, or, or some people just say the good one. No, I, I'm a, I, I want to go along with that. I mean, I, I love that movie, too, but I, I love Bill Murray's. I think it was the thing where he was trying to break out. I, every time there's some kind of weird tragedy in my life, there's a lot of times I'll watch that film because I think it, it speaks to it. But um, it was a it was a chance using Murray and everything, but I think uh, I like it. Anyway, enough of that. But, um, yeah, his score is really rollicking for this film, for Airport. It's... Um, High high energy. Uh, the love music is very good. It really is kind of a throwback, though. For 1970, this music is you know it's not Lalo Schifrin doing doing uh, Dirty Harry or something like that. It's a uh, uh, it's got a, a you know a giant main score, the main theme of the airport and everything, and it's got music for Ada Quonset, uh, uh, Helen Hayes. You know, uh, is devious. Uh, you know, this lady's devious and cute at the same time. Uh, it's got the love music where they move into a piano. You know, it almost sounds like uh, uh, Gershwin or something there for a little bit. Uh, it's 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 great. It did a great job. Um, what what did win best soundtrack that year? Do you know? Uh, I don't know off the top. I don't know. I, I didn't. Okay. Yeah, I know. I we know it wasn't this one. I know this was. I think his when I read his final score. Though a few films or few of his works came out in films after he passed away. 
So it's hard uh-huh. to say, you know, as everything in films, as to what was done when, and and then there's the order of release, you know. So it's hard to so is, was this his last work that he did? But yet he did some works that were in other projects prior, and then they came out after. I, I don't really know all those sure. details, but this was, I, I think it's safe to say we can say it's either his final work or one of his final works uh, of a like a forty year career, if I remember right, and which was a lot of great scores. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know. I mean, um, let's talk a little bit about Burt Lancaster. Uh, he uh, He's the guy that runs the airport. He's the guy that, uh, and uh, by the way, this reminds me too, I've, I've, well, this popped into my head. Uh, Joshua Kennedy went out to, and I don't remember what, what city or state this is in, but he actually went out to the airport where the front of that airport is photographed. And went out there with a camera and shot photos of it. So maybe we can get him to, to, <laughs> to, to let him. Be. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't believe it. He goes, "I'm here. I can't believe it." And he didn't even say what it was. And it was like, "Here's the front of the airport from the movie Airport." And I, I knew exactly what it was the second I saw it. You know, that's at the time that uh, that I didn't know he was such a big fan of the movie or whatever. But I thought I that think was it was filmed cool. when I read in Minnesota, one of the airports in Minnesota. But but you know as well as I do in Hollywood. They could have done a lot of scenes in Minnesota, but the front of the airport could have been an airport from another place altogether. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's there, there's so like many irrelevant. different factors that can go into um, uh, the, the art. Well, of, I doubt very, I doubt very seriously they shot at a Chicago airport. I would have thought it would have been too crazy busy, but uh, yeah, the Minnesota one. I think you're right. I remember being uh, being like a state with an M in front of it. There's plenty of those, but uh, it. it um, it, you know, I thought that was pretty neat that he did that. But anyway, so Lancaster is ahead of this airport. It's like this thing place, takes place over like 12 hours. Uh, he's being yelled at because the sound of planes flying over one community is making all the plates rattle off the walls and everything like that. He's being told by the, by his, uh, uh, you know, by the, the, the group or whatever, the, the, commissioners. Uh, uh, it, the commissioners or whatever, that they're going to shut the airport down if he doesn't do something about it or that they... You know, he even said, you can fire me if you want to, but the airport's staying open and all that. And uh, he's he's also got a problem with his marriage with uh, Dana Winter, who, and, you know, I remember as being a kid, I considered her to be like a bad guy. But, you know, in, in hindsight, I really don't. Uh, you know, the more I watch it, the more I sympathize with her as well. And they're kind of basically doing the same thing to each other. They both, I don't know whether they've said whether or not Burt Lancaster and Gene Seberg, had they actually been having an affair? No, is it, no. He, he was adamant that, that they were not going to have one. He said, you, and she said, I know where you stand. And that's why yeah. it was the big thing at the end when he said, let's go get breakfast at your place because I hear the eggs are good. Because that's when um, Dana Winters, yeah. his character, his wife said that she wanted a divorce, was having an affair. So now that, on, that, that released the shackles on him and for, yeah. for for he was basically holding on to the family, trying to keep it together for the children. But yeah. the, the, the family the was being destroyed said, by them fighting all the time. So, it, and so that, that's when well, he realized he's too, moving on. She admitted too that she was she was having an affair. She got somebody that made her feel wanted, and it's like you know, I mean, you know, do you do you blame her? I mean, the guy is obviously you know, committed to his job, but it's to a point where, and even he learns by the end of the film, when somebody runs out there and he's getting ready to go 
to her apartment to have breakfast or whatever. The guy runs out and gives them another problem and says, tell them to take care of it and, and, and realizes he's transitioned too. He's not going to take on every single thing well, he used to. Yes and no. I agree with you on that because the dialogue that he said earlier, where he never got to finish when he was talking to, I think, um, Mrs. Livingston, Ms. Livingston. I think that was Jane Staburn's character. Yeah, yeah, Tanya. Yeah, Tanya. Um, when he was talking to her, something, and I think also when he was talking to his wife a little bit, but he never finished it, it was almost like, it's not just work that keeps me here. You know, it's, in other words, I think when he was talking to Gene, like, it wasn't just work. He's not, he was a workaholic, but he's not, it was not just work. He was looking for excuses to stay at the airport to be near her, but he would never right. want to do anything with her. So now that he is going to do something with Tanya's character, um, now it's like, okay, his, re- his goal was to be with her. And that's why I think there's another, so, so I don't think there's a little bit of workaholicism, but most of it was to be near her because that's who he cared about, though he didn't want to do anything beyond that because he was married. But now that they're point. going through a divorce, he, like I said, now he's able to go through with that relationship. And of course, he's going to go where she goes. Well, but what I'm saying, yeah, and I agree with you. I think that, but but what he learned at that moment is like, okay, I really can tell somebody to take it over because this is the reason. I mean, uh, with his wife, it was just, you know, and and he did say say to 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 Tanya Livingston, he did say to her, look, we haven't loved each other for a very long time, me and my wife, you know, yeah. and. Uh, you know, it's funny, too, because as a kid, I, I, I saw this stuff, and it was sad and, and everything like that, but I understand it. I ended up going through a divorce, and there was some of the exact same stuff happened there uh, where, uh, you know, and I had I had kids involved. You know, there were kids involved, which was the hardest part of it. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I had friends tell me, it's like, look, you've got to uh, – you can't, you can't stay in a, in a broken marriage, you know. And the kids aren't going to benefit from you two forcing yourselves to stay together. So, you know, at the time it was just drama, but then nowadays it's it's actually good advice, um, you know. Um, I do agree the, with you, though, that her character, um, Dana Winter's character, was set up in the beginning to be like you felt bad of her until more developed in the relation when you realized more what was going on. Like when she first is calling and of course he has these emergencies going on. It's like, you know, sure. you could, you could see, he's like, I got to take care of this. And we're seeing the other side. We're seeing real emergencies. And here we see this person who's like saying, Oh, come on, forget about them. Come spend time here. But then when you realize the totality, the total, the total, the whole relationship um, that's going on with the characters, uh, then you're able to, figure out like, oh, she's in a much, like you said, in repeat viewings or whatever, you can see that she's actually uh, a different character than you would first, when you're first watching the film. When you're first introduced yeah. to her character, you realize um, she's a lot more different. I think when they had that, when she actually showed up at his office, you know, and, and everything, and they had their, in the, I think it was in the third act, when they had their little um, conversation where basically she explained that she was having an affair and that they shouldn't be doing this to kids, whatever, and they understood. That's when you really yeah. got to understand her character so much better and could understand why she was the way earlier. But it, nowadays well, in Hollywood, they don't do that too, stuff as much anymore. When she um, actually starts to talk to them after they've decided that they're going to separate or get a divorce, when 
when they said that, it's almost like the, the pressure off of her lifted and she started talking to him again for another minute and she was actually happy. At first I thought it was happy, like, okay, good, I got to be with this other guy. But then you realize she was just happy to be able to have a conversation with him. And when she, when she started it, he, the phone rings and then the second phone rings and he grabs both phones or whatever. And then you just see the look on her face. It's like, I can't even, I can't even get out of the marriage with a conversation with this guy. You know, it was, it was kind of sad, you know, for her. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Dean Martin, uh, cheating on his wife, Barbara Hale, uh, he's a playboy, uh, a pilot. Um, he, uh, is having an affair with, uh, Jacqueline Bissett. Uh, it's one of those movies. I was only 11 or 12 when I saw the film. And like I said, I went berserk when I saw this film, but it was the first movie crush I ever had. I had, it wasn't, uh, you know, just sexual or anything like that. I mean, I literally fell in love with her character because she was beautiful. She was, you know, she was in the middle of a, of a thing. She was, she was pregnant with the, with the man who she thought was just gonna, you know, say, okay, we're, you know, you go on and get an abortion or something like that. And it was more, um, it was, it was, she was very thoughtful about it and the way that she would like look off and you could tell that she wasn't sure what she was going to do and everything. Um, it was a different look for her. Jacqueline Bissett normally had long, dark hair and like this. They gave her this, this red haired, uh, red hair. I guess it was a wig unless they did her hair up that way, but she looked beautiful and she had the stewardess, uh, the outfit and everything like that. Um, but, her and her, her and Dean Martin are having this affair or whatever, and she hasn't told him that she's pregnant, and she finally does, and then you start to see him, who's basically been a prick. Yes, I was going to use I was going to so use that far. same word. He's a prick. <laughs> well, like I said, I think this is a, a a G or a PG rated podcast. You know, if I was on Rodney's, I'd I'd, I'd be I'd be you'd be bleeping me. Well, not Rodney wouldn't, but you would be. Uh, it's one of those where he is. Um, He's not likable. I mean, he starts right off him and Burt Lancaster arguing about just anything. And and the fact that – and this is a, a major issue about the, the film that we haven't talked about. The movie starts right off with an airplane landing on the major runway and taxis too soon and, and gets stuck halfway off the runway in the snow. And now they're trying to figure out how to get it out. Well, Dean Martin – is you know uh you know smarting off to Burt Lancaster Lancaster by the way you're going to be using the short runway tonight uh and uh of course that's the runway that they don't want them using because it rattles people's dishes and stuff at their houses in the nearby neighborhood but so there's that scenario of that plane sitting there and it becomes a really major issue it's it, first off it's just a problem then later it becomes like a life endangerment thing uh, but anyway, so it, the arguments that he's having with, uh, with, um, Bert Lancaster, uh, about various, you know, operations and, and this, that, and the other, first off, he's mean spirited about it. Secondly, he's married to Barbara Hale. And we know this within a few minutes of his character being there that he's cheating on her, uh, and, and everything. But then you see him as the movie progresses it's and it's not good for barbara hale she's still to me kind of a victim of all of this you know his you know philandering or whatever that he really is in love with jacqueline bissett and it becomes more pronounced as the film goes along and then when we get to the actual major action sequence near the end of the film it 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 really overflows
is. I mean, he really is worried and realizes that he's really in love with this woman. So, um, uh, thoughts, your thoughts. Well, Dean Martin's character, like you said, he comes off as the unlikable cad, you know, for the longest time. And of course he ends up doing heroic things in the movie, but he's, he's, he's an interesting character because he is the morally compromised character, you know, with where it's just, you don't read. And Dean Martin, usually when you see him in different films, he's this charismatic guy, you know, the funny guy, but this one, his jokes are more mean spirited because it fits in line with his character. So he's, he's saying different comments and he's doing it in a mean way. And, um, which he's played in the past before he's played characters that were, you know, uh, more of a meaner grain, though. He's not really known for those as well. And so you, and you, but you see his character, his, he's one of the few characters that has an arc in the movie where he changes, as you said, with his relationship, when he realizes one, that she's pregnant two when she gets, um, significantly injured with Jacqueline Bissett's character, how, how he alters his mindset. And you can see that when he's talking with the other captain, when they're doing different this dialogue and stuff like that, like when he's talking about his um, Barry Nelson's wife and kids and those kind of things, like, oh, what's that like? You know, mm-hmm. how are you doing this? And how do you pull this off? And he just, and you can see they do have this camaraderie. And it's interesting going back to him being a prick when he's doing the evaluation, like he's looking at the guy's shirt and he's like, okay, yeah, you wrote, I remember he's written up and I didn't have the proper work shirt on. He goes, oh yeah, I made sure to do that. I made sure to even polish the, the wings or whatever on the shirt. Cause I knew yeah, you were going to look badge. Yeah. 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 So well, that's one thing that they show about him is he's very professional. I mean, he's really going to, you know, sort of, he's, he's good at his job which is one of the saving graces, you know, especially for the passengers on that plane. Um, but his character but, and Burt Lancaster's character, I think, butt heads a lot because they're the two alphas. And um, yeah. like he's saying, oh, we, that one plane that's stuck, he goes over there and says, well, why don't you do this and this and this? And uh, he's like, no, this is what we're going to do. We're going to follow the Patroni plan. You know, this is what Patroni with George Kennedy's character. And uh, this is what he said we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. And then I remember him telling another person, he says, if another captain starts to give you ideas, give him a shovel and tell him to get out of here and start digging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which brings us to uh, George Kennedy's uh, character, who is really, really well done. Um, he's basically a, a, a tech guy, maintenance guy, whatever you want to call it, for, uh, I guess, for another airport or for another airline or whatever. And, and he is uh, called on when this plane gets stuck in the snow to try to get it out of there so they can keep that runway open because it's their critical runway. And the character is really well done. He's fun. He's fun to watch. He uh, is irritated because they take him away from his wife who he finally got some, to spend some time alone with the kids what, are packed up. And what a way to introduce a character. I'm just saying, what a way to introduce him. <laughs> Yeah, and he's he his dialogue is fun, his humor is fun, uh, the you know some of his one-liners are, are really good, uh, but he is a guy he's the guy that they got to get in there and uh, uh, to to get that plane out. He's also the guy that does most of the explanation about what's going to happen if the bomb goes off in the plane when they're talking to him. So uh, there's uh, scenes of them trying to get that plane to move. It's it's you know the front wheels are jammed down in the snow. Uh, it 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 you know it, it gets worse.
course, there, he gets into a fight with the pilot, uh, you know, uh, an argument with the pilot about um, getting the plane out of the snow and all that stuff. And the, the way that he talks, like, you know, you take the wings off this plane, it could be a tank. And, uh, oh, my gosh, that the, the truck's, you know, I'm, I'm stuck in the traffic. There's a truck in front of me that's laid over on its side like a drunken dinosaur. I mean, he just has got these really good, uh, really, really good lines. And near the end of the film, the when the bomb has gone off, where, once again, these are spoilers, people. When the bomb has gone off uh, and, and the plane is trying to make its way back, he is the person that goes in there and basically he probably even risks his life. But he gets inside that, that aircraft and jacks the, the jets up to full throttle and finally yanks that plane out of the snow and taxis it away. And it was a pretty exciting scene. I I was a kid. I thought, well, they probably used miniatures for that. But, you know, when I'm looking at it, it just doesn't look like a miniature. I think they probably just had got a real jet out there because the wings are doing that slight wobble that they do. I mean, that would have been very, very high-level miniatures. Now, we see miniatures in the film like when it's flying through the clouds and everything. And it's like by today's standards, it's very dated, the special effects, although they're good. I mean, you, you, you run you run this movie through the 1970 filter. Those special effects at the time were great. Um, later, you'd see movies like the Hindenburg or Airport 77, where they would do these incredible cloud sequences with the jet or with the dirigible or whatever, and they were flawless. Uh, this was still a little bit before that. Uh, but that's why when I'm looking at these scenes on the ground with that jet finally climbing up out of that hole, I'm sort of like, that looks like a real jet to me. I'd like to know a little bit more about that. It, you know, if, if anybody listening to this podcast who knows anything about that, please let us know, you know? Oh, definitely. You, you can leave us a message on Facebook or email us at diecastmoviepodcast at gmail.com. Um, and we'll share that in a future episode if you can explain it to us, like how they did it. Uh, uh, but it's a movie where... Yes, you can say the effects are a little dated compared to now, but it's over 50 years later. And, and yeah. But it's still, when you're watching the film, it does the job. It, it, you're able to suspend your disbelief. You're able to go with the flow. It's not, it's not going to stare out back at you and be like, oh, I take you. It, never, it never takes you out of the movie. And I think that's the key thing with effects. As long as the effects can keep you in the movie or enhance the movie, then they're doing the job. It's when they take you out of a movie, that's when the, the effects, I think, are, are done poorly in any kind of movie. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it, you know, one thing that drives me crazy is when people, you know, look at some film, like I was years ago, hell, this was even 20, 20 25 years ago, I was watching uh, George Powell's War of the Worlds, and there was a couple of real young people in the room, like, you know, you know seven, eight, nine years old watch it and they go boy why do the special effects look so fake and i remember as a kid when we saw them that was top-notch stuff i mean it, it looked very very believable well we've gotten to a point now where where special effects you know if done right are flawless i mean even on television shows if you do bad special effects nowadays you stink you know it's like expected that that special effects are flawless uh, back then they, they had hands on, they, it was almost what I don't even call special effects back then. I would call them, uh, my brother used to use this term when we were kids, trick photography mm -hmm. is what he called it. And I think in some ways that's a better term because you're, you know, anything from, uh, uh, you know, uh, from uh, what's his face, uh, a trip to the moon, you know, with the with the with the missile in the moon's 
bullseye. Who's the guy that did that? Um, who's the, uh, oh, you're talking about um, um, the French guy. Um, it, uh, it, it, Mills, Miles, Mills, Millet, George Millet. Yeah, Millet. He he did that. I mean, that was literally just figuring from moment to moment. What what do we do here in this camera? in front of this camera that makes it look like something that isn't really happening. And that's what, you know, when you watch the Ten Commandments or you watch, uh, you know, Forbidden Planet or War of the Worlds or whatever, I mean, there weren't computers. There weren't all this other kind of stuff. This was wires and and double exposures and hand animation and matte paintings and whatever the heck else you had to do to make something work. And given that, I start to look at these older films now more like um, – like plays mm-hmm. it's almost like when you watch a japanese monster movie those people did not have the money to do what you know what the, some of the ray harry howls and stuff they just didn't have the money or the time so they put a guy in a suit built some really nice buildings and then stomped the crap out of them but it's like you've got to take it through that context it's like watching theater yes. um and, and that's the way i am when i see older special effects it's like they did as good as they could, and uh, it's still amazing. It's still amazing when you think of it. Yeah, and that's, it, um, it, it, like I said, if it's done well where it holds up, if it was done well then, it's going to still hold up to repeated viewings where, like I said, even like we, like we said with this movie, Airport, where you can sell, like if they had better effects, it would be better. It still does the job. Where at the time, 1970, oh, yeah. it was like excellent, you know, and now still, if it's excellent then, it's still going to be doing the job for the rest of the time. And that's just that's yeah. the, that's the good thing. But I want to give credit to two people we haven't spoken about at all. But I think this is a good time to bring them up: the cinematography, Ernest Laszlo, and the director George Seaton. Because obviously we're talking yeah. about how these shots are set up and how they're done, and it's hard to say which is more credit than the other. So I always try to, unless I know for sure, I always package the two together when talking about mm-hmm. how scenes are set up. And I think it goes right with what you're saying. Right. There's a lot of great scenes and great set design also for the plane uh, that was used for a long, long time in Universal for a lot of the airport movies and other movies and TV shows and stuff like that, that plane set they did. But it's just the cinematography, the direction, everything is just I – thought, I thought it was really well done. Oh, yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's strange to me that this is sort of like one of – the old style Hollywood's last hurrahs. It's not there. We were moving into movies that look more like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid and Bonnie and Clyde and things like that. And then a few years later, you know, in 75, we would move to stuff like jaws that had its look, it's Spielbergian look, which would continue in some ways is with us still to this day. Uh, the, the move, this kind of movie still went on a little further with, what they called the disaster films, um, uh, Poseidon Adventure, Towering Inferno, Earthquake. They still had that sort of sort of look, that grand hotel sort of thing with a big problem. And uh, like a lot of people call this movie Airport a disaster film. It's not a disaster film. That term was coined right after Poseidon Adventure came out. But Irwin Allen had obviously watched Airport and was heavily affected by it. And upped the disaster you know to a to a to a much higher degree using paul gallico's book but that's where the the term disaster picture came out as a as a trend it could have been that airport came you know was a big hit and then nobody ever made anything like it again for for years but 
you know, Alan ran with it and some other people did too, things like the other airport films. Some of them, some of them anywhere from not so good to pretty horrible. Uh, although I watched Airport 77 for the first time since it came out, and that wasn't terrible. Uh, that one was okay. But um, uh, you you look at, uh, you know, the Towering Inferno, which is just about the highest rated in terms of popularity of the disaster films. And it, it, it reminds me the closest of Airport. The same problems with, uh, you know, who, who did what. You know, is, is somebody going to leave somebody and all that kind of stuff? And then you get this big problem. But um, airport to me is a drama. Uh, it's just, if you were to say it, it's just, it's just a drama. I don't like the, you know, the people using the term soap opera because a soap opera continues on for weeks, months, and years. This is a finite amount, and they give you as much information about these people as you can in a little over two hours. And then, and then they have a big problem. Soap operas, you know, didn't usually have such big set pieces as planes with holes in them and stuff. Uh, but to me, it's I've, I've seen people rag on this film online. I can't, I can't believe this film ever got made into, or ever this movie ever got nominated for Best Picture. It's like what a what a horrible film. And then there's other people that say that they love it. I can't. It's it's simple to to look at a film like this if you're from the modern era. And, and scratch your head about it, but at the time, this thing was the cat's pajamas. It was huge. It was it was it was big. It was exciting. You you were you were in, held in suspense. I was riveted. I mean, when that bomb went off in that bathroom and, and blew Jacqueline Bissett across the floor and everything like that, and 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 Dean Martin's getting sucked down the aisle and all that thing. I mean, I was like in shock. So, yes, it depends upon your point of view, but um, you know. Uh, once I said, you and I understand watching older films. And uh, one of the things I got to credit for is some small stuff that's shown throughout the film where they establish some things in other scenes and they come up later on. And, and I'm going to bring up a, two of them. One of them is they establish there's, there's at least one doctor on the plane because he, because the yeah. doctor gives the one person medicine to help with airplane sickness. He's like, Oh, this will help you with that. And you could, okay, there's one doctor, you know, he's going to come into play later. Of course there ended up being, um, several, I think three doctors that they said in the thing, but they established there was one doctor on the plane. So you knew there's going to be medical treatment needed. He's on there. And and not to interrupt, I've got to put this in here just as a laugh, but that doctor looks so much like my friend who does go to monster bash, by the way, James Lechner. So Lechner, if you're hearing about it, your new nickname is doc, as far as I'm concerned, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I gotta love it. And the guy, <laughs> I think it was Lloyd Nelson, Lloyd Noylan, played Harry Standish, yeah, who was the good, yeah. who was the customs agent, and yeah. they established the whole scene where the lady's trying to get in um, fake items or, or items hidden, and he says, when he's talking to um, Tanya's character, um, it basically says, "Well, I can usually tell in their eyes, you know, what's going on. It's like I don't really know if it's their body language, and yeah. of course, he's the one." who figures out about Dio Guerrero when he's, yeah. he's standing there and when he's going on the plane and it's just like, and I love his character because you can tell it's like, there's something not right. And instead of just letting it go, he brings it to attention. And, and instead of Tanya's character, letting it go, because when he tells her, she takes it to her supervisor and she won't let it go. And then they finally figure out because as you said, Maureen Stapleton who plays his wife shows up and 
And because she has no money to get back, airport security picks her up, brings her to Tanya, and then she's able to figure out because she was looking at the names of the people that were on that bus um, and everything from puzzle and all that. And she puts that together, and everything gets put together about what's going on. And it all started because of Harry Standish, you know, standing his ground. What a, best, what a great name for a character because he literally stands his ground and follows through with that whole idea. And, and But they establish it in nice little asides that some movies nowadays, they show those little asides but don't follow through. This movie was intelligently written enough to set these things up and then follow through with them in either big points or smaller points in the movie. And I, you got to give credit to the screenplay in the book. Yeah. Well, one thing I, I remember, it's been a long time since I've flown uh, out of the country. Uh, I think it was like around uh, 90, 1990 or something last time I was out of the country. And I remember coming back into the country. I think it was, or, yeah, I was coming back into the country. The people get you getting back onto the plane to go back to the country. There were people that were with in our cluster waiting to get on the plane there was a guy and a girl, they were horsing around. I mean, they were very excited about each other. Let me put it that way. But it was almost like they were, they were coked up or something. I don't know how, how the heck else to put it. Uh, they were acting, acting out, you know, uh, and everything like that. But when it came time to go through and have the inspection person look at them as we were going through, they, 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 I showed them my passport. I, you know, uh, they, they looked at me and everything like that. And I went through, but as I was looking back, the guy, who was acting like a horse's patootie, the late, he had his sunglasses on. And the lady goes, um, she got real serious. She goes, sir, she goes, stand up straight and take your glasses off. I want to see your face. And that's the first thing I thought of was Lloyd Nolan. It's like, yeah, they do it. They, these people are trained to 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 see these telltale signs of, of the humans, these giveaways. And, uh, you know, he got on through because he was just being an idiot. He wasn't, you know, doing anything crazy. But but uh, but that's what it reminded me of. So his character is based on, you can tell it's based on reality. Um, he was very good. He's got such a beautiful voice. I love him on that. I love him on Outer Limits and stuff. He has such a great voice, and he seems so believable in, in his role. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else we left out. Uh, well, we talked, we, we, we mentioned his name. Yeah. Whit, Whit Bissell. Who got to, who had you know get had sit, sit get seated next to Helen Hayes's character you know and yeah. and, and, the, and the exchange and Whit Bissell does a great job he's this consummate gentleman oh do you want another sherry you know do you want the, and and it's defending her honor when certain things are going on and tries to help her out I mean it's just it was it was a nice it's nice when you see these these great character actors given these roles and that's the great thing about a movie that has like it was like 162 um credited people or whatever, something outrageous. I shouldn't say all credited, but IMDB, a lot of them were uncredited, but 162 people in the cast. And um, so you're always going to have a chance to have all these people have different little times and moments. And he did a great job. I thought, I thought it was, you know, a solid outing by him doing, you know, a good, good solid work. Yeah. He's great. I've always loved him. So many movies I've watched him in when he shows up, the production value goes up. Uh, he's great in this film. You can see he's got a full head of white hair. It's definitely different than, than how he looked in uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. But he is terrific. He's got a beautiful speaking voice and, and a, burst, a beautiful persona. Uh, uh, so it was great to see him. 
you know, when Jacqueline Bissett is pretending to be mean to Helen Hayes and she's pretending to be a victim, his his mannerisms and everything are great. Um, it, it's one of those things where you're just you're just happy to see him. Uh, another person who was in it that I always liked was Lou Wagner. He played uh, he was one of his more famous roles was J Five on Lost in Space, uh, and he plays the nerd son with the big horn rim glasses who is basically smarter than his dad until his dad finally gets sick of his crap and yells at him. But uh, that was that was a pretty good thing where he starts to tell Dean Martin, he goes, I think we're turning this plane around, sir. And then Dean Martin gives him some gobbledygook, which is pretty funny, where the kid kind of goes, the dad goes, well, what do you mean, son? He goes, I'll tell you later, dad. I actually met Lou, uh, I think it's been about two years now, uh, met him at uh, in Pensacon in Pensacola, great convention. And uh, I went there to get something of him from Planet of the Apes. Uh, and but I was there, but then, you know, uh, but I was, wait a minute, this guy was in airport and at the age of 12, this is the first time I ever had this title that I gave to a movie, my favorite movie. In other words, when I saw this movie at the age of 12, it instantaneously became the first film that I ever said, this is my favorite film. And it, it, it stayed up there at the top for, for a while. Uh, and, and so I got to meet him. He was really nice. He signed the old, very famous image of him with uh, uh who's the makeup guy uh from planet of the john chambers and him and he's reading the 50th issue of famous monsters Filmland in ape makeup while he's getting a haircut from john chambers and they're both looking in the pages of famous monsters and uh there's that and but he you know he signed that for me but then i told him what a huge fan of airport i was and he talked to me about it a little bit and he reached into his briefcase and pulled out Two photographs from the film didn't charge me or anything like that. He goes, here, and he just signed them to me. He goes, I'm glad to see somebody asking about this. Nobody hardly ever asks about this, you know. And it was like, but he was very, very nice, very nice guy. And and that's the nice thing. I've, I've had this, a lot of people I've met at conventions too, and, and you bring up films you enjoy, and it's not always the ones that they're known for. And they have a, they, and they, they it's nice. You could see the glimmer in their eye and, and, and how they, is to enjoy it when they get to talk about something different than when everybody usually asks. And I think of um, Rico Browning, who passed away not that long ago. And when I saw him last at Monster Bash, I was, you know, you look at, they'd always have that little sign deck on his table of all these different credits that he had done. And I, and I was looking at it and I was like, Caddyshack? I was like, well, I love Caddyshack. So I was just like, and I remember asking about it. And you, yeah. and you could see. Because he's used to everybody asking about Creature from the Black Lagoon, which he was fine with. And he was very professional. When I asked him about Caddyshack, yeah, sure. it was like he got 20 years younger. He, he straightened up, glimmer in his eye, smiled, and he talked to me for 10 to 15 minutes about doing the second directing, the second unit directing on Caddyshack. He was giving all these different things. And the whole time, you know, I was thinking, Mark, I wish I had a microphone to record all this because he was just, you know, it was, this was before I started doing the podcast and everything. And it was just like, Oh, cause he, he was just sharing all these things and I'm just absorbing it. And another guy who I ran into at monster bash that year from Chris. And I said to him, you got to ask him about Caddyshack. And it was the next day. So we went up and he asked about Caddyshack. I was with him and he repeated the stories and was all again, fully like into it. So I was able to, hear them twice so I could try, you know, to remember these. So if I ever talk about Caddyshack, I'll be able to remember these stories because it's like I was, it was my way to get uh, – I got it once. I got the gist. But let me hear it a second time so that way I can 
if I have to recall this for something down the road, I'll be able to say, well, this is what he was telling us, you know, and that kind of thing. Cause it was just sure. gold. Yeah. Well, it was like with me when I, when I did a, a, a panel with Rico Browning at Monsterama and we were talking about, um, I, I, I was not going to, to talk about the creature at all. That's what I wasn't there. I was there to talk about his work on Thunderball. And then we talked about other things in his life, you know, the creation of flipper mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, movies that he made, movies that he directed, and also the shocker, which I didn't know, you know, was that he worked on uh, Disney's 20,000 Leagues Out of the Sea. I did not realize that. And it's one of those where you start talking about other stuff. You know, yeah, if you keep talking to somebody about the same thing over and over again and they have to give the same answers they've given a thousand times before, it can almost become kind of a Chinese water torture, you know. Uh, where where you uh, you know you um, you know it's like oh, here we go again here we go again and maybe you don't maybe you always keep the energy I've had people ask me the same question a million times and I always seem to be fine with it but I can see with some people the way it would get sort of like please let's talk about something else you know so well I understand where they're coming from because I was a Red Cross instructor uh, for over 20 years, 20, almost 25 years. I still am, but I used to work for the Red Cross and I went to different companies to teach the classes. So I was teaching 200, 250 classes a year of like normally adult CPR and first aid. That was the typical thing. And eventually AED was added in. And I had this mm -hmm. co-instructor go to me one time and she goes, how do you do it? I go, what do you mean? How do I do it? She goes, how do you do it? You know what they're going to ask you before they ask you, you know what you're going to say? Before they ask you the question, because you've asked, because you've been asked that question so many times, because you're teaching classes, you get asked these certain things over and over, and um, so you and you know your answer. And I said, because I said I treat it like a play, where you know, or this this person could be taking this class for the first time. So, like in a play, yes, you've been doing that play maybe for a year. So you've done hundred, a couple hundred shows, maybe three hundred showings of it in that year. But that person that's coming in for a 300th show, that's their first time seeing it ever. That's the person you're playing for. That's the person you're doing. So when I teach a class, I'm always teaching for that person that's taking the class for the first time. So, yeah, a lot yeah. of the people know the answer already, but you gotta, you got to teach to that person. And I think the, the people that do a great job at these Q&As or these conventions, even though they've heard the questions thousands of times, are the ones that are keeping in mind, this is the first time this person's ever asked that question and they don't know the answer. That's why they're asking. Right. Right. Okay. I think that it's time to talk about Van Heflin. Yes. We got to talk about him because this character was the one that, uh, that caused the whole disaster to happen, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, he does a really good job. I mean, I love Van Heflin's work. I've seen him in other films. You know, of course, he's great in Shane and and uh, and other other films. Um, so they, it starts off with him when we first see him. The music changes tone. the uh, The sets aren't as pretty. I mean, he's, he lives in an old old uh, little apartment with his wife, who is working. Uh, nearby at a little uh, restaurant, you know, uh, and he comes out and uh, you see that he's got a mechanism and some dynamite and stuff on the bed and you immediately get suspicious. Okay, this isn't going to be good. But then he goes to his wife and visits with her and tells her that he's getting ready to leave for the job that he's told her about in Milwaukee. And the way that he is 
he's we find out later he's got you know i don't know we call them psychotic tendencies but rage tendencies and things like that he but he loves his wife and you can tell that by the way he talks to her and everything like that and and uh She's sort of just looking at it as a regular uh, conversation between the two of them before he leaves on a trip. But he's way more intense about it than she is. Not that she notices, and it isn't done in such a way, but he says stuff to her like, you never complain. You never complain through all of this stuff that we've ever gone through and everything. And then he leaves. And then, like I said, we find out that she finds out through a note sent back from the airline giving him a partial refund for being overcharged that he's going to Rome. Then she goes out there. We learn that he is horrible at keeping his jobs because of his anger issues, that he was in a mental hospital in the military, and that he uh, works with explosives in in the excavation of of, uh, building sites. Uh, There's a great part where uh, Maureen Stapleton is being interviewed by uh, Burt Lancaster, and it's done in such a believable way, the way he m- moves her along to the next bit of information he needs to know, uh, and it builds suspense with us, you know, as you know, things go along. But back to um, uh, Van Heflin and Guerrero is the character's name. He happens to be sitting next to Helen Hayes, who was a stowaway, and Whit Bissell who we think is great. So it's one of those things where um, through multiple radio communications with people that they figured out, you know, that Helen Hayes is a stowaway and they're not going to worry about, they don't care. I mean, it's like she's already on the plane and all that. They're not going to, you know, raise a ruckus or anything like that. But now it becomes more critical because the bomber is right next to the stowaway. And that's when things get really hairy. Uh, I like the way Dean Martin goes, yeah, okay, well, he's seated in this seat. He goes, I'd have to lean over three people in order to get that case out of his hands. So they come up with a ruse where Jacqueline Bissett acts like a complete biatch towards Helen Hayes, uh, mean, smacking her and all this other kind of stuff in her, you know, and, and threatening, uh, you know, lying, of course, but saying that she's going to, you know, leave her with the Italian police and all that stuff. And, uh, 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 you know, and, and Guerrero is very antsy. He's always holding the seat suitcase like it's, you know, the most precious thing on the planet, like it's full of gold or something or worse. And like when Helen Hayes talks to him about, you know, the, the, the drawings and stuff he's doing on top of his briefcase, which he keeps on his lap, which we know has got a little string thing on the outside that's going to blow it up. And there's this this neat sort of way that he does it. He's very, he's not crazy Renfield crazy. He's determined crazy. He's he's nervous, but he, he, he keeps it low-key. Finally, when uh, they make their move and Jacqueline Bissett, who has got a hysterical Helen Hayes uh, next to him, she grabs Van Heflin. Helen Hayes grabs Van Heflin around the neck saying, please help me stop me from this horrible woman. And Jacqueline Bissett grabs a suitcase, our idiot guy, Rathbone, grabs the case and hands it back to Van Heflin, who runs, and when Dean Martin turns, uh, runs down the hallway, and everybody's like all up and out of their seats, they finally start to realize something really is wrong beyond what they thought they were seeing. The look on Van Heflin's face when he's trying to talk him out of blowing up that bomb is one of of it's over. I'm sorry. I don't know what to do. And Martin, 
that balance between Martin saying, look, I promise you, if you hand me that case, no one will hurt you. And he's got this really sorrowful look on his face. And I think it's partially he's now knows that he's not just pulling the trigger on a bunch of unsuspecting people so he doesn't have to see their grief. Now he's seeing their faces. He's seeing the look on everybody in those chairs. And unfortunately, things go awry. Guy comes out of the bathroom, loudmouth, goes grab him. He's got a bomb. He goes in there, pulls the trigger. Jacqueline Bissett's pounding on the door and gets blown across the room. And, you know, the theater's in suspense. You know? But he did a good job. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a lot of screen time, but it was very effective while he was on it. And uh, go back to what Dean Martin said to him, like, Nothing's gonna, nobody's going to hurt you. I liked it when he added, nobody on this plane is going to hurt you. You yeah, know, or, yeah. or t- touch you, or whatever, and because it's it's you de- that way he can say if the guy gives a thing, nobody here's going to hurt you or do anything to you that's on this plane. But as soon as we land, there's going to be people that are going to come and they're going to take you, you know, away and stuff like that. You know, not meaning like to hurt, but I mean like the things are going to happen, but nobody's going to do anything to you in the immediate future. And it, so he never lied because some people will say like, oh, like. Oh, he said, nobody's going to hurt you. Nobody's going to do anything. But I always like how right. he just said, on the plane, you're, while you're on the plane. Well, I, I, I think I that I was think a nice what tag. That, with, you see an image of he hands on the case. The plane lands. Uh, the authorities are, are there. Yep. They take him, and he ends up in an institution. Yeah. He ends up in an institution, and then that's what happens. But this isn't a movie about solving things that are halfway a problem i mean we have to i mean this is entertainment mm-hmm. and it is uh, supposed to fill you with excitement so the bomb goes off you know and uh, they do this incredible scene with these wind cannons and everything i still have the cutout from uh tv guide about how they did the uh, uh you know the the fake the fake jet aircraft interior uh wind cannons and fans and everything else to have all this stuff blowing around the room uh they start Pulling, you know, the, the the air gets sucked out, so they got Mr. Rathbone gets a little bit of punishment by turning completely blue, and uh, somebody's nice enough to put a mask on him. Although I think that must have been tough for them, and uh, you know, just the things her uh, Jacqueline Bissett hanging on to uh, a strap to keep her from potentially still getting sucked out, and uh, she's got she's got stuff in her eye she's obviously gonna you know, possibly lose an eye is she even gonna live they're not even sure about that she's pregnant uh it's one of those where um it's you know it, today people could call it I, i've heard it, people could say that it's corny or whatever and i think like the movie airplane uh sort of um uh i i don't want to talk about that movie too much although it is a great movie it is a very funny movie it's still like that that signal the end uh, actually airport the concord signaled the end of the airport films i remember people laughing in the theater at the trailer it was such a horribly stupid movie it's horrible and i can't believe george kennedy did it but it was one of those later with with airplane where you can really see the guys that that love the movie airport but are still comedians they're going to make fun of it and everything like that and probably for an airport plain audience it's tougher to watch this film than it was for us who were who were old enough to see it when it was still fairly new you know um but yeah anyway yeah it's it, it's it's a great movie and i i think <coughs> excuse me i think the only actor that we missed talking about that i want to bring up is 
the Navigator, a very young, very young Gary Collins. Yes, yes. When I saw him there, I was like, "Oh my God, that's Gary Collins." I mean, it was just, it's just, and he, and he, and he had, um, he didn't have much to do in the movie. There was one time he was out there with the, the passengers, and he was the one who was talking to the priest, and the, and Rathbone was saying. Well, the other guy, the captain, he punched me, and and it's and I, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it's almost like hey, I'll, I'll punch you too, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Gary Collins, he was he was uh, known on the television show The Sixth Sense. He always played very good professionals. He was very a very polished looking man, and I think that's one of the reasons he ended up being on television as a show host on national television. I can't remember which one was it. I know that. Uh, uh, was it um, which show was it that he was? It was it the today? It wasn't Today Show. It wasn't Good Morning America. It was one of those big shows that he was on. One of those one of those early morning shows or something like that. But he was he was really good at it. He was designed for it, and you can even see it in this film. He's got a very uh, personable but professional mode about him. Are you looking it up? He was on Our Magazine. Our Magazine. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm looking real quick. That's yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to spend time looking at his whole IMDb page, but that was the first one that popped up as what is he known for? That was the third thing. So it's, but yeah. I mean, he was he was pretty much you know at the time. I mean, he was he was on TV quite a bit, and I think his personality. It's like the guy that was on Good Morning America, who was also an actor, and I forgot his name too. Uh, uh, he also had that sort of um, that sort of personality where you knew the, of them as an actor, but they also were a very, very good television show host. So, I always remember him from this movie Born Free, um, the, the 1974 one. You know, it's like it's Born Free. It had the mute had that song at the time. It's about the um. If I remember correctly, the Tigers, the Lions. the Lions. There we go, the Lions, and um, the Lions. Yeah, and I always remember. I enjoyed the movie, but every time I would try to stay up as a lad, I try to stay up on Saturday and go like stay up all night to get into Sunday. You know, when you're watching like the monster features, and eventually, eventually, somewhere in three or four in the morning, that whatever television station that was still on would throw Born Free at me, and that sucker put me out every time. I'd, I'd make it like somewhere in the middle, and it'd be. Out because you know you're just so tired. It's not the movie to watch when you're tired. It's the movie. That, I think they put it there to cure insomnia for people. But I enjoyed the movie when I'm fully awake. But it was just at four in the morning. That was a movie that would take you out. Well, I mean, he wasn't in the movie. He was in the TV series. Yeah, but I'm still. I'm thinking that like the movie. You know, like he was in the TV series. Oh, the movie itself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's got him here listed as also being in King Kong versus Godzilla as a Submariner uncredited, and then. Uh, He's in the longest day, uh, you know. I mean, he was he, he did other stuff. He was on Ironside. He was on the FBI Hawaii Five O Night Gallery. Uh, he was on Night Night Gallery, which was then kind of, I guess, an offshoot was the Sixth Sense, uh, Six Million Dollar Man. I mean, he was in different things that we all watched. The Bionic Woman, Police Story, which was a pretty good show. Fantastic Journey, uh, you know, Killer Fish. Charlie's Angels, Hangar 18, Fantasy Island. Um, yeah, I mean, so 
you know, he was he he he'd been around. He it seems like he stopped working around 2009. But um, yeah, I liked him. I liked him in the film. I thought that he did a good job. Like you said, it wasn't a very big role, but it was effective. Uh, I mean, he was third fiddle in the cockpit, and um, uh, I think he did a very good job. Uh, I, I don't think we've talked enough about, and we talked enough about Jean Seberg. I feel like you know she really is the uh, the highest uh, ranking a- uh, actress on the. Uh, although I think her and Jacqueline Bissett would be considered almost a tie uh, in terms of in terms of importance, but she's kind of like the the, the number one uh, actress on the marquee. Uh, I liked her. I thought she was pretty good. It was weird the way she 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 kind of went against the the rules with Helen Hayes, and she wasn't nice to her. It wasn't like Burt Lancaster who thought you know Helen Hayes was funny, and that he was amazed by her. She was angry with her. You know, it was always every time she saw her, she wasn't the nicest person. I thought that that was a smart move on the part of the movie. It's like not everybody has to think that Helen Hayes is cute. She'd probably be pretty darn frustrating, you know. Um, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's one of those things. It's like why Burt Lancaster said he, he stayed at the airport in the end. He was in love with her, you know? Um, but you know, there's that tension there. Is she going to leave and take this job in another state and everything? And, um, but I liked her and I liked the scenes where she's like, she's got to get on the phone and use the fake name to call the security people. Uh, her dealing with Inez Guerrero when she realizes that, you know, everything's falling apart for this woman. She can be sympathetic. I mean, that's the thing, not sympathetic to Helen Hayes, who's just being a little, you know, a little jerk. I mean, she's, she's very sympathetic to somebody who deserves the sympathy, you yeah, know? You know, she treats Helen Hayes like a, a, like a police officer would. You're the criminal, you know, okay, this is what you're doing. Where Burt Lancaster's character could be funny with her because he's not the one that's going to have to handle it. It's going to have to be, Tanya's character that has to deal with it. And, you know, you think about it, she's probably handled it. Like she said earlier, we had a stowaway that was 16 years. So here she's handling all these other stowaways. And to her, it's just, oh, you've been milking the system. You've been doing all this stuff. And I find it funny when she's sharing these different things and she's taking the stuff from her. It's like, oh, yeah, you're not going to use that again. You're not going to use that again and, uh, and, and confiscate yeah. it. And when she pulls out the wallet, she she puts it right back in her purse before she gets that yeah, snatched that was great, away. That was great. <laughs> Yeah, she had that look on her eyes. She did that a couple of times. Like I said, when, when Jacqueline Bissett goes, I'm sorry, I hope I didn't hurt you. And she goes, no, you didn't. Uh, not much. That's sort of that, that oh, she's she, she's got a piece of information, but about halfway through a sentence, she realizes that she can use it to her advantage. And it's like with with her taking that wallet and realizing I better put it back in the bag before her hand reaches out and snatches it from me. Pretty funny. Uh, it, it's good stuff. So overall, um, let, let, we'll talk a little bit about the movie the night it premiered on television. It was on the cover of TV Guide with a couple of other, uh, a couple of specials and things that were coming on. I want to say that the cover of TV Guide was done by Ansel, the great, the great illustrator who did like Raiders of the Lost Ark and a bunch of other really good movies. Uh, movies did tons of TV guides, but it was called A Very Special Week was the was the cover of TV Guide, and I still got the Dean Martin portrait cut out and in my in my uh, scrapbook of old movie stuff that I did in the seventies. And um, the movie had massively high ratings when it came on television. And there was, um, there was a thing about it. Um, it, it, so many people watched it that New York city uh, complained of 
uh, I don't know if it's a water amount, the water level problem or the sewage problem or whatever, because at 11 o'clock that night or right after the movie got out, the movie stopped on television, too many toilets flushed at one time in New York City <laughs> at the ending and, and caused some kind of a plumbing problem or something like that for New York City for a little while because too many people had finished watching the movie, went and used the restroom to go to bed, and then caused this problem that was actually on the news like the next day or a day or two later. Um, it caused another type was, of disaster. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, um, my personal feelings are I absolutely love this movie. I, I, I went crazy for it. Uh, we'll watch it again and again. Uh, I was playing the soundtrack a couple of weeks ago. I love it. It's big and rollicking. Um, it's a, it's a genuine pleasure to see a film that has a very clearly defined plot. It goes from point A to point B with all these neat little sub stories going in together. And, uh, I think it's a wonderful movie and, uh, you know, I, I, I recommend it, but you got to watch it with the, uh, you got to watch it with the, uh, you know, the, the 1970 filter on when you watch it. Oh, I, I agree with you. I, it's been a long time since I've seen the movie again. Uh, like maybe a few decades, I got the um, the Blu-ray set that has all the airport movies. And one of the things you when you and I were discussing what movie to do, I was like, oh, and you throw out airport, it's like, oh, good, this gives me an excuse to finally like stick them in. <laughs> and I was, yeah, you know, it's I do one, that with films too, sure. And I was, and, and what a great excuse it was. So I'm glad I got to put it back in and, and relive something I hadn't seen since I probably saw it on TV in the 70s. One of like. Because um, yeah, I was born in 68, so somewhere later in the 70s, I saw it, I'm sure, on one of those times. Right. It was on at night and with my parents and my brothers and that kind of stuff. And, and then it's been, I think, since then that I've seen the movie. So we're talking like 40 years, 35, 40 years, wow. something like that. And yeah, it's a, so there, there are certain things I was like remembering wrong about it because you get the other airport movies mixed up, you know, from your memories and in those kind of things. So there's certain people I thought were in it that weren't in it, but I, I really enjoyed it. And I'm glad that you picked this one. And I want to thank you for coming on the show and talking with me about it, Mark. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I mean, uh, it's about time you and I got together and did a powwow. I think it was, um, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm appreciative of the fact that you're not just dealing with science fiction, fantasy, and horror films too. You will talk about any kind of film and, uh, you know, um, I, I love, I love talking about it. I hope we get to do it again real soon. Uh, we will. And again, for listeners, if you want to look at Mark's art or reach out to him, you can go to his Facebook site and, um, remember he's, he's Mark Maddox from Tallahassee, Florida, you know, so you know where to look for, you don't want to get it mixed up with the football player, Mark Maddox. <laughs> this is the artist. There's a, there's a bunch of other Mark Maddoxes too. You don't want to get it mixed up with. I'm just little old Mark Maddox from Tallahassee. <laughs> and you can also read, they can also email you at where Mark? Mark at maddoxplanet.com. And we all know why it's called Maddox Planet because everybody is on the same planet as Maddox because it's Maddox's planet that we're on. So if it's really not planet Earth, it's Maddox. It's the one place that I rule. It's the <laughs> one place that I I'm like the little prince. I walk around it like in a big circle, that kind of thing. <laughs> and also, I want to thank you again for joining for joining me, but also all those monster bashes that you and I have been at over the years and um, the, the camaraderie and the friendships that 
I developed there. Yours is one of the ones I, I appreciate, and uh, the other people you've introduced me to, um, and that kind of stuff. I just want to thank you again. It's been it's been a joy. Going to Monster well, I feel the same way. And you won a forty this year for your work. So you know, you, I'm I'm proud of you for that. You're a great guy. You're fun to talk to, and you love the same kind of stuff. And you help keep it alive with people. You know, so I I want to thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you again. And listeners, again, leave us feedback at either diecastmoviepodcast at gmail.com or on our message on our Facebook page. And please feel free to share this anywhere you want, when Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, that kind of stuff. And otherwise, next time Mark will come back, him and I will roll the dice later, and uh, we'll see what movie he picks next. And hopefully he'll be back before this year is out so we can get two Mark Maddox episodes in in one year. But he is a busy, busy artist, too. It's all right, Captain. We'll take care of her. I'm going to the hospital with her. Send a thank you note to Mr. Bowling. Good morning. First class or economy? First class. You know, it was much more fun the other way. I'm too keyed up to sleep. What about some breakfast? Sounds like a good idea. Where should we go? Your apartment? Well, you've been bragging about your scrambled eggs. It's time I found out just how good they really are. <sighs> Mr. Bakersfeld, maintenance just called. The big snowboard's got damaged. Mike wants you to take a look and make a decision whether to work overtime to repair them. Tell him to take care of it himself. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> 